Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. What's up, 10 o'clock? How are you feeling today? You feeling all right? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas around here, and I love it. I mean, it's gotten colder, which I love. Like, cold temperatures are my favorite temperature. Um, I, I love the winter. I feel like winter today. Did anybody struggle to get out of bed this morning? Anybody with the rainy, kind of cold temperature? We only had two honest people in the whole room. Everybody else needs to repent. Uh, but no, man, I, I, I love this weather. I don't feel great today. This weather sometimes brings sickness. But man, I love this weather. I love Christmas. I love this season. Um, I don't personally enjoy decorating for Christmas. I'm terrible at it, but I love Christmas decorations. Um, The other day, Corey asked me to go with her into Hobby Lobby, which is dangerous for my health. Um, I think that actually may be what made me sick, but um, no, we went to Hobby Lobby and I was walking through this store and I was thinking, I hate this place. And I love this place. Like, there was so much about it. There were Christmas decorations everywhere. Like, it was beautiful. There were other stuff that I didn't love. But, like, there was Christmas decor. I love Christmas, and I love decorations. And I love so much about this season of time because, I don't know, I just, you know, there's Christmas trees. And the greatest thing about Christmas trees is eventually there's gifts under the Christmas trees. And then there's songs. You know, there's Christmas Music. Does anybody just love Christmas music? Anybody? There's, there's eight people in the room that love Christmas music. But listen, I love Christmas music. I'm one of those people. There's just a few of us. But I'm one of those people that I could listen to Christmas music all year long. It doesn't bother me. doesn't offend me. It doesn't get on my nerves the way that some of you it gets on your nerves because some of you are going, oh, God, right? I mean, like, the other day, I was riding in the car. It was Thanksgiving Day. And we were driving after we had celebrated some Thanksgiving stuff with our family. We were driving to Corey's mom up in Tennessee, her, to her house. And we were listening to the radio and a Christmas song came on the radio, which I loved. It was great. But my two oldest sons did what oldest children do sometimes. And they made that noise that just kind of starts in the back of your throat and just kind of like, ah, ah. I thought they were choking to death. I was like, what are you doing? And my oldest son said to me, he was like, oh gosh, can't we just get through Thanksgiving before they start playing Christmas music? And I was like, get through Thanksgiving. Like they should have been playing Christmas music two months ago. Like, what are you talking about? Get through Thanksgiving. Like, no, Christmas music is incredible. Like, it just does something to me. It gives me, like, the warm fuzzies, like, all the feels. I get all the feels listening to Christmas music. I love Christmas music. But here's the reason that I think that I do. Because even though there are some new Christmas songs today, like, there are some new ones, really, Christmas music has kind of, a lot of these songs have been songs we've sung all of our lives. And so when I sing these songs or I hear these songs, even if it's a new rendition, even if it's a new arrangement, even if it's a new artist recording that same song, it kind of takes me back to my childhood a little bit. It makes me nostalgic. I remember those Christmases of my youth. I remember waiting on Santa Claus. I remember being at my grandparents' house. I remember driving to my grandparents and, you know, it was cold. And so, you know, sometimes the window would roll down. You'd get that, that cool air. You'd smell somebody that had a fire outside. of I me. And I just, it just kind of takes me back. And I remember those songs as a child. And I think about what those songs meant to me as a child, songs that we know, 
that we're familiar with. There may be new songs, but I'm talking about Jingle Bells and Away in a Manger and Silent Night and, I mean, Hark the Herald Angels. Like, I love Christmas carols. I love these songs because they mean something to me today and they, they usher with it a season of time that I enjoy, but they also cause me to look back at my childhood. And so what we want to do over the next three weeks or so is we want to use this idea of Christmas carols to really take us into God's Word, to look at some songs around the Christmas story that I think will help us to see this Christmas story in a little bit of a new way. And today, we want to start with Mary. Now, there's several Marys in the Bible, and we say Merry Christmas. So some of you may be saying, well, which one are we talking about? We're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. We're talking about, if you've looked at a nativity set, we're talking about the, the young teenage girl that's kneeling there to the right of Jesus next to the manger. And we're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus today. And in the Christmas story, you may not have read it, read this part, but in the Christmas story, there is a Christmas carol. There is a song that Mary sings, that she recites, almost like a poem, in Luke chapter 1. If you got your Bible, I'd love for you to flip to Luke 1. If you don't have a Bible, but you have a device, you can go in a Bible app or something, go to Luke chapter 1. If you don't have anything and you don't want to steal your neighbors, that's fine too. This will be up on the screen for the most part today. But Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, there is this song, this poem that, that Mary, she sings, she recites. And I want us to read that together today. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, all the way down to uh, verse 55. This is what it said. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, talking about herself. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, there's Several important things to keep in mind here as we read this song of Mary. This, this, this song that Mary sings or she recites is important for a lot of reasons. If you really unpack what she's saying here, it's some powerful theological truth that she's unpacking in this song. But I want you just for a moment to think about who is singing this song. Now, most of us are familiar with the character of Mary, the person of Mary in this story. But let me just remind us that she is a young teenage girl who has just received the news that supernaturally she is carrying a child. Through, through, she, she has not done anything to conceive this child herself, but she's received the news from God through the message of an angel that she is now pregnant with the Son of God. Jesus Christ is inside of her and will come to the earth in the person of a baby in just a few short months. And now this young teenage girl, now historians have, have debated and have argued a number of different ways and a number of different times to try to determine how old Mary was at this time in history. Some have, have said she might have been as young as 12 years old, others maybe 14, 15, 16 years old. But here, that's not important for today. Just to remember that she's a young teenage girl that has just received some of the most life-altering, historically 
life-altering news that you can ever imagine. And she receives that news, and now she's left to kind of deal with it on her own. And so what she does is she then recites this song. Now, she recites the song about three months after she received the news, received the message of the angel. She went to hang out with her cousin Elizabeth, who is also pregnant. This woman is not a young teenage girl. She is an old barren woman, and she can't have children either. And supernaturally, she is having a child, and this child we would later know as John the Baptist. And so she goes, Mary does, to spend some time with Elizabeth, and she spends three months with her, and they encourage one another. And after that three months, it's as if God was able to work in that three-month period of time to cement in Mary's heart and in her soul that what he was trying to do through her and in her was of him, and it was really special. And so she's declaring these incredible things that, that God would send the Savior of Israel through her, and that generation after generation after generation would call her blessed. Like That's a really powerful thing. But my fear when we think about this story, my fear when we were coming into this room and as I was preparing for today, is that we know so much about the story that we might miss the true meaning of what God may want to say to us through Mary in this story. I mean, when I think about this idea that, that Mary, this young teenage girl, is carrying the Messiah, carrying the hope of the world inside of her. I think we've heard that so much. We sing about that. We've seen movies. We've, we've listened to sermons that maybe we miss what's right in front of us, that there's something special that we don't need to miss. I think we all do that on a pretty regular basis. We miss something that's right in front of us. And I wanted to show you some images today of some things that you've probably seen before, but didn't realize that there was something else right in front of you. These are just some logos and some things that you probably noticed. Let's look at the first one. This is Baskin Robbins. Some of you just got hungry for, for little sweets today. Baskin Robbins, this logo is a B and an R, but it's also 31. Anybody know the tagline for Baskin Robbins? They've got 31 flavors, right? So as you're looking at this, some of you have always seen the B and the R. Some of you have always seen the 31, but maybe you've missed the other. When you were looking at that, you missed the other message that was embedded there in the logo. Let's go to the next one. The next one you see here is Tostitos. I talk a lot about Mexican food. I love Mexican. I can eat chips and salsa for days. I love Tostitos. It's one of my favorites. But did you notice that the two T's are two guys holding a chip over a bowl of salsa? You never saw that? That's Tostitos. That's what they want you to do, that there are two guys holding a Tostitos chip over a bowl of salsa. And, and if you missed it, it's because you were looking at the obvious and you missed something even more obvious. Let's go to the next one. This is the old Northwest Airlines uh, logo. It doesn't exist anymore, at least in this form. If you're looking at this, what you see is you see a big circle. There's an N and there's also a, an artistic W. But do you see the compass pointing at the Northwest? This is an obvious uh, effort by the designer to help you to see something that exists there. But if you're not looking for it, you would miss it. Let's go to the next one. This is the Tour de France, or if you're real cultured, it's the Tour de France, I guess. It's a bicycle race that people would ride in, and this is the logo, this is the title, but do you notice that the O and the, the uh, yellow circle are bicycle wheels, and there's a guy leaning over riding his bicycle in that logo? He's sitting on a seat, which makes the U of Tour. And so if you weren't looking for it, you might have missed it. 
There was something very obvious in the midst of something that was very obvious. And so if we weren't looking for it, we would miss it. Let's go to the next one. This is the Pittsburgh Zoo and Aquarium. It's the tree of life. But do you see the monkey and the lion looking at one another through the tree trunk? If you weren't looking for it, you would miss these animals that you can see at the zoo looking at one another, staring at one another in this incredibly beautiful artistic logo that describes life and trees and all the things here. Because if you weren't looking for the obvious, you would miss it for the sake of the obvious. Let's look at the next one. This is Amazon.com. Everything we buy at Christmas is on Amazon, right? And we can get it in two days if you've got Prime. But Amazon's tagline is you can get everything from A to Z. Well, look at A to Z. It's right there. It's so obvious. It's right in front of you. Amazon has everything from A to Z. And if you buy something on Amazon, chances are it's going to be delivered by one of three companies. And I'm going to show you the last one. I've shown it before from this stage or a stage similar at our campus. But when I see this next logo, I can only see what I'm about to show you. I can't even see the words anymore. I can only see what I'm about to show you. I think it's going to change your life forever, okay? Go to the next one. FedEx. Do you see the arrow between the E and the X, the white arrow? Here's the deal. When I see a FedEx truck, I don't even see the words. I just see the white arrow. That's all I see anymore. And you go, well, that is so neat that they chose a font that the E and the X next to each other make an arrow. No, 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 no. If you do the research, they spent about 18 months developing a logo, and they spent several million dollars with the advertising firm that they used to come up with this so that you would know that FedEx is more than just a shipping company, that they exist to help get your products from point A to point B, that there is a direct route that they bring your packages from a starting point to an ending point. And if you weren't looking for it, you think that's just a bunch of letters on a screen. And you just look at the obvious here. It's just FedEx. But no, 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 it's not. It is the imagery of a company that wants you to know that they prioritize with efficiency moving things toward you. And if you weren't looking for it, you would miss it. Well, here's the problem with the Christmas story. You know the Christmas story. You know this story. It's Joseph and Mary and the shepherd and the wise men and animals sitting around in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Right? I mean, you know this story. And if we aren't careful, we see the obvious and miss the obvious. We miss the meaning. We miss the story that it's more than just a young teenage girl. It's more than just her fiance. It's more than just, it really is more than just a baby in a manger. It's more than shepherds and it's more than wise men and it's more than frankincense, whatever that is. It's more than all of that. It's more than a tree. It's more than gifts. There's something right in front of us that if we're not careful, we would be looking at the obvious and miss what's right there. And so Mary sang a song. She sang a song beginning in Luke 1, verse 46. But if you jump back 20 verses in Luke chapter 1, you actually see the portion of the story that most of us have read about Mary. Some of us may have read the, the song of Mary, maybe in just a reading on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. We read all of Luke 1 and all of Luke 2. Maybe we skipped all of Luke 1 and we just read Luke 2, and that's okay as well. But this is the portion of the story that is often told 
Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. This is the portion of the story that you probably are familiar with. This is the beginning of the Christmas story, at least in Mary's mind. This is what it says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, there's a number of things that I think are important right out of this passage here in verse 26 through verse 38 of Luke chapter 1. And if we are to make sure that we don't miss what's right in front of us for the sake of the obvious that we know, I want to recenter us on a very important idea before we divide this scripture up a little bit. And that idea is this. Mary was a young teenage girl carrying, if that's for me, tell him I'll call him back. He was, she was carrying the hope of the world inside of her. She was, she was literally, that, don't get past that. She was literally carrying the hope of the world inside of her. And she was a young teenage girl. And after she receives the news, she goes and hangs out with her cousin Elizabeth And after she spent three months with her, then she comes back and she sings the song that we read earlier. But I want you to notice a couple of things in the conversation between the angel and Mary that I think we've read, we've heard, we've seen it, but they are so important to what God may be saying to us this morning to help us, for some of us, start into the Christmas season to understand what God may be doing in the midst of this story that he also may be wanting to do in you. Verse 28 said, if you remember, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Right up front, before the angel says anything else, he says, Greetings, O favored one. Greetings, O favored one. He's letting Mary know that God picked her. There's something special about you, Mary, Like, I think sometimes when I read this, I think, you know, Mary might have thought, I don't know, that like they rolled some dice and it came up Mary. (laughs) I don't know. Like they were drawing names out of a hat. And it was like, oh, Mary. Well, God, do you know what you're doing? I mean, she's only like 14, 15. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, we drew her name. We can't put it back. Like, okay, we're going to go with Mary then, right? I think sometimes in our lives, we assume that's kind of how things happen. 
It was just by luck of the draw. It was just by chance. It was just, you know, through our own hard work or our work ethic or what we can do or who we're connected to or we know the right people or we're from the right family or we live in the right place. And no, 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 no. At the beginning of the story, the first thing that the angel tells Mary is that she is favored, that she was selected on purpose, that God had a specific design to his plan in mind and it included her. Mary, you are favored. I would say to you today, you are favored. God selected you. The plan that God is trying to accomplish in the world, I shouldn't say try to, the plan that God is accomplishing in the world includes you and he picked you on purpose. Now I know some of you go, well, I wouldn't pick me. I know I wouldn't pick you either, but God did, (laughs) right? God picked you. You're favored. You're blessed. God looked across the landscape of humanity. And I mean, I don't know if it was like duck, duck, goose, you know, like you and you and you and Mary. I I don't know if that's how it went, but I'm just telling you like what this tells me is that God specifically picked Mary. And before he told her anything else, he wanted her to know through the announcement of the angel, she was favored, that there was something unique, something special that he wanted to accomplish and it came through her. Then verse 30 says this, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God, Mary. Now that might sound like an obvious thing. Don't be afraid. Like this is a weird story. And I know this is kind of crazy how this is happening. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive. Like, don't be afraid. I think we all understand that and why that would be necessary. But did you catch what we read at the end of verse 28? Greetings to you all favored one. The Lord is with you. If you truly believed, what we were talking about earlier, if you truly believed that God was with you, what are you afraid of? I'm going to ask that again because that was really good. If you truly believed that God was with you, like if, if the angel was speaking to you today, if God was speaking to you today, or if you don't have any of that happening in your life, and I'm the only one speaking to you today, and I were to say to you, God specifically picked you, and the Lord is with you, Don't be afraid. Do you believe that God is with you? And if so, then what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? The Bible tells us that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Do I believe that? Or does that just look good on a coffee mug? Like, if I really believed that God in me was greater than anything that I'm going to face, then what in the world am I wasting my time on fear for? What do I have to be afraid of? If I believe that God selected me and I believe that God is with me, then I have nothing to be afraid of. Verse 32 says this, and he will be great, talking about Jesus, And will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. It's almost like God through the angel is saying to Mary, listen, I want you to know you've been selected. I want you to know that God is with you. And I want you not to be afraid. But I also want you to understand that the story is not about you. Like it's kind of about you, but it's actually not about you. It's actually just about Jesus. But God wants you to deliver Jesus to the earth, literally and figuratively. And so I need you to know how big this story is, Mary. 
I need you to know that he, Jesus, will be called the Son of God because he is. That he will be the Son of the Most High because he is. That this baby that you're carrying will actually sit on the throne of his father, David, because he will. And of his kingdom, there's no end date. I know you're just 14, 15 years old. I know you're young. I know you may not fully grasp time yet. Like you haven't lived long enough to really understand how short your life really may be. But I need you to know that the child that you're carrying, his kingdom will last forever. Mary, the story's bigger than you. And I want you to know that. And, and I think for some of us, when we, we try to buy into the idea that God picked us and that God is with us and that we don't have to be afraid, we still think that the story's about us, even when God tries to make the story about himself. And we go, well, yeah, but listen, I appreciate that. Thanks for picking me. But I don't think you realize how unqualified I am. I don't, I don't think you understand that I, I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. Like, I put on a good front. I put on a nice front. Like, I, I make people think I've got it all together, but on the inside of me, it's a mess. Like, I put on a pretty good show. When I show up to church, everybody thinks, like, I've got my stuff together. <laughs> but I'm a mess. And, like, if, if conception requires some certain things, like, I'm unqualified. I don't know if you know that, but like I'm a virgin and I, I don't meet the qualifications of how this thing normally progresses and I don't know what I'm doing and nobody's going to believe me when I tell them it's you. And, and it's almost like God wants her to know that it's not about her. It's about him. Remember when Moses was standing in the desert in the Old Testament and he was standing in front of the burning bush and this bush was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed and it's kind of burning, but it's not burning up, but it's burning. And Moses is talking to the bush. And God is calling Moses to go and do something incredible to set his people free that are in captivity in Egypt. And Moses keeps making it about himself. Well, what do I do when I get there? And they don't believe that you sent me. Well, just tell them that I sent you. But what if they don't believe me? What do I do if I go and stand before Pharaoh and he doesn't believe me. Well, you know, we'll do these signs and wonders. Yeah, but what if I get there and he doesn't believe me? Like, what, who am I supposed to sell, say sent me? And what am I? And the whole time, God's like, no, no, no. You, you're not on the hook for this. I am. I will do the miracles. The Bible actually says, if you read it right, unless you read it from a human perspective, when we think that Moses went and set the people free, the Bible actually tells us in that, in that story that God says, I will go and set my people free and you will lead them out. Moses, all he had to do was just get in front of the people. He didn't have to have any leadership ability to do that. He just had to be like directionally non-challenged to figure out where the front of the line was at. That's all he had to do. God did the miraculous. God did all the signs and wonders. God did the work. All Moses had to do was go get in front of the line. I will set them free and you will lead them out. And it's like before Mary could even try to make it about herself, the angel said to her, listen, no, no, he will be called the son of the most high. He will sit on the throne of David and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so she asks that question as we all do in verse 34, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin, how will this be? I'm not qualified. I can't do it. We've already hit that, but how will this be? When you and I don't understand, 
when you and I can't comprehend how in the world this is going to happen, be reminded of the truth of verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. It's so obvious, it's right there. It's so obvious because it's always been the story of Mary, but we've missed it because of the other parts of the obvious story. For nothing will be impossible with God. Say that with me. For nothing will be impossible with God. It's right there in front of us. And then look at this in verse 38. This is so challenging to me. But man, I draw incredible strength. If this young girl can say this to God, I can say it to God too. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Some translations say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. This young girl, before she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, before she sings her song, gets to the end of the conversation with the angel. And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. Everything that you've said, let it come to pass in me. Nothing is impossible with God. I don't know how it's going to be. I'm not sure how it's going to play out. I'm not qualified. Nobody's going to believe me when I tell them what you just told me. But may it be to me as you have said. You ever played the game White Elephant or Dirty Santa? You ever played that game? If you've never played that game, let me explain to you the rules. You bring a gift. There's usually a category or a budget you bring a gift, and what you do is you put your gift into a package. You wrap it up in a box, or you put it in a gift bag, or whatever. And you come in, and you put all the gifts from all the people that are playing under the tree, or up against the wall, or wherever you're having your little gathering. And here's how the rules go, and there are some variations of the rules, so maybe this is not the exact way you play it, but you'll get the idea. You draw a bunch of numbers from one to however many people there are in the group, in the room that night. So you draw a bunch of numbers, and whoever draws number one walks up and decides, based on all the gifts that are laid out in front of them, which gift they want to take. And they're usually looking for the biggest package or the nicest, you know, thing or the most expensive tissue paper. I'm not really sure how you determine expensive tissue paper. It all looks the same to me. But they're trying to figure out, like, what might contain the best gift, and then they pick a gift. And then number two goes, and number two gets to decide, do I want to steal gift number one or do I want to take my chances with the gifts that have not been opened yet? And you go down the line. Number three looks at the first two gifts or decides I want to do And they can steal and they can swap gifts. They'll go and get another gift and give it to the other person or, or they'll just take the gift and that person's got to go get a gift or whatever. And you get to the end of the line. Number 17 or 27 or 107, how many people you got playing? You get to the end of the line. That person looks at all the other gifts that have been there. Maybe some have been locked. You can't steal it more than two times or three times or whatever. But they look at all the gifts and they decide, do I want to steal what's there or do I want to take my chances on what's unwrapped or what's still wrapped up, I mean? And they go and they decide. And maybe they grab the gift or maybe they open the last unopened gift. And then, depending on where you're from and how you play the game, then person number one who drew the number one tag, then they get to look at all the other gifts and decide, do I want to take somebody else's gift? Do I want to make one last swap since I didn't get a choice? And do I want to take their gift? And so that's how you play. Well, depending on who you're playing with or how you're playing, like I said, you may be looking at the gifts based on the wrapping and figure out which gift you want to select. The biggest box, the nicest wrapping paper, the best bag, the best tissue paper, whatever. You don't select gifts that look like this. It's crumpled up. It looks like somebody forgot it in their car two weeks ago. 
It looks like it was dropped on the way in and stepped on by like 17 small children. Like it just, it looks ugly. The tissue paper's not even sticking out like it's supposed to be sticking out. It's pressed down in there. So this can't be a big gift. It's gotta be something small that fits in the very bottom of, who wants something small? I mean, like we want something, like you don't pick gifts like this. That's not what you pick. But the reality is that the outside of the bag actually doesn't tell you anything about what's inside the bag, right? I mean, I'm the kind of person that I try to make the outside of my bag look like this so you won't pick my gift just to play a trick on you because I know there might be a good gift down in there. I probably re-gifted it from the last party I went to, but it's something really nice down in there. And so I take something really small and put it in a gigantic box. Or I put it down in this and I crumple my bag up just so you won't know that no matter what the outside looks like, there's something great on the inside. This is the story of Mary and Christmas. Nobody would have picked Mary to get Jesus to the earth. If you and I were writing the story, there's no way we'd pick a 14-year-old girl. No way. We'd pick royalty. We'd pick somebody that had access to a doctor or at least a good horse and not this terrible donkey to take a long trip to. At least somebody that had a reservation at the inn. That's who we're picking. That's not who God picked. He put the hope of the world. He put Jesus, the Savior of the world, in an unassuming, we never would have picked it, kind of weird packaging so that you and I might have to dig to figure out what he was doing. Because here's the deal. This is not just Mary. This is me. This is you. Like I said in a minute, I know you dress up nice. And you have tricked most everybody into thinking that you've got it all together. But for most of us, we are a mess. And yet, God chose you. God picked you. God picked me, and he put his son in us. He said, listen, if I, if I want to get Jesus to the world, I want him to live in you. So that if anybody goes looking for Jesus, all they've got to do is find you, and they find Jesus. I might ask it this way. What if the answer that you need is wrapped in a package you don't think you want? Who's that person in your life that God may have positioned you right next to? And they may be the solution. They may be the answer. But you avoid them like they're contagious. You don't want to have the hard conversation. You don't want to seek the promotion. You don't want to switch jobs. You don't want to stay in the marriage. But what if the answer to what you're searching for is in a package that you don't think you want? 
it's so obvious, I'm afraid we've missed it. That while Christmas is about Jesus, part of Christmas is also about God choosing somebody to carry Jesus that we wouldn't have picked. And 2,000 years later, God is still choosing people like that because he's picking you and he's picking me. What if the answer that someone in your life is searching for is in you, a package they may not think they need? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much today for Christmas. I thank you for the story that we know, the obvious message that we've heard before. And God, I pray today for every person in this room that they would not miss the incredible truth that you choose them. You desire for them to carry Jesus to the world. Help us not to miss that truth. Help us to know that we've been selected by you just like you told Mary and that you are with us just like you told Mary and that we don't have anything to be afraid of just like you told Mary, but that this story is not about us. It's about something larger than us. It's about Jesus Christ. And when we don't understand it, we say, well, how will this be? I don't measure up. I don't fit the criteria that you would remind us that nothing is impossible with God. And God, would you give all of us the courage to respond in the same way that that young teenage girl responded to you when she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Give us the courage to respond in that way. And help us to trust you enough to live a life, even when we don't think we're worthy, even when we don't think other people think we're worthy, to live a life knowing that you've entrusted the hope of the world to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.